had to rethink everything about how we do business. It's almost like a meteor hit the entire planet. It's chaos, complete chaos. For businesses large and small. No revenue coming in whatsoever. Coronavirus represents an unprecedented challenge. From Fortune Media, this is reInvent, a podcast about fighting to thrive in a world turned upside down. I'm Adam Lashinsky. And I'm Beth Cohen. The coronavirus has wreaked havoc on businesses everywhere. Over the next few weeks, Adam and I are bringing you stories about companies weathering the current moment brought on by COVID-19. It's all happening now, and the stakes couldn't be higher. Beth, when was the last time you rode in a Lyft or an Uber? When was the last time you hailed a ride of any kind? So I just looked this up, and it was actually all the way back in December of 2019, and it was coming home from the airport of the last flight I took uh, before the pandemic hit. Well, the very last ride I took was a few weeks ago in an Uber, the very first one I've taken since COVID-19. And my wife and I went home from having dinner with a friend with all the windows open. So obviously our experience is similar to the experience of so many other people who used to ride in the backs of Ubers and Lyfts all the time. And it illustrates what one of the co-founders of Lyft, John Zimmer, told me in a recent interview. At its peak, the ride-sharing business was down approximately 75%, uh, which was extreme. Where we are today is closer to about 50%. We, we consider that progress. It's a bit shocking that 50% of business is progress. How are they doing before the pandemic? Lyft has grown cautiously but quickly since it launched in 2012. Founders Logan yeah, we were marching towards profitability, uh, had it in our sights. Right, so that's the funny thing about Uber and Lyft. They bring in billions of dollars. It feels like they're everywhere, but they actually lose money. Lyft had a net loss of $911 million in 2018. But it's promised to invest... In fact, they've never made money consistently. Um, they've been in growth mode. They pay a lot of what they take in to the drivers. It just hasn't proven itself to be a real business, despite how big a business it is by revenue. And this is true for Uber and Lyft, and it's true around the world. That said, Zimmer was totally clear that right before the pandemic, Lyft was at least approaching its goal of being a profitable company. Okay, so Lyft is marching toward profitability, and then... And then COVID hits. Business comes to a screeching halt. Their stock price tumbles. Both Uber and Lyft lay off a bunch of employees and furlough others. But as Zimmer points out, since then, ridership has been creeping back up. You know, we've seen certain demographics actually use Lyft more than they were using before. Obviously, frontline workers who uh, maybe don't feel as comfortable being in transit right now. And bikes have been another bright spot for Lyft in particular. It owns bike share programs in several U.S. cities, City Bike in New York, Divi in Chicago, Bay Wheels in San Francisco. We've passed pre-COVID levels of, of bike ridership. People are finding that open air form of transportation, something you can do by yourself, is very much in demand. It's enjoyable, it's affordable, uh, and it's uh, very safe. 
And I can relate to all of this because I was a power user of Bay Wheels, which is Lyft's San Francisco product. Before the pandemic, I commuted to my downtown San Francisco office, and I I absolutely loved it. I loved being on an, in the outdoors on a bike that somebody else maintained and locked up for me when I was working. And by the way, I've used these bikes a fair number of times during the pandemic as well. You know, I've actually never ridden on one of these things before. Never in New York? No. Oh my God, I love them. Lyft's main competition in the U.S. is Uber, and this is one of the fiercest rivalries in business. It's a fierce rivalry in the way that there's a David and Goliath rivalry, and Lyft, make no mistake, is the David here. They have always been the pipsqueak uh, compared to Uber, which is a much bigger business with more money, with more rides, and so on. Also, Uber has diversified in a way that Lyft hasn't. Uber has businesses all over the world, and they've built up a very big food delivery business called Uber Eats. So does Lyft have anything like that? Have they tried to diversify their revenue streams in the same way? I asked Zimmer if we'll see Lyft begin to compete with the likes of Uber and DoorDash and Grubhub with regard to food delivery, and here's what he said. We don't think the world needs another one of those. It's also not our specialty. Our, our focus is on transportation, is going deep on personal transportation so we can provide our drivers and riders with the best service. When you focus, uh, you can win that category and you can provide the best hospitality. Delivery for drivers to earn more money is interesting to us. And what we've heard directly from retailers and restaurants is that they don't want to pay the 20 or 30% being charged by something like Uber Eats they're coming to us and saying, how could we help them with delivery for their customers? And that is a conversation we are having and something that we may continue to, to lean into over the next few months. Let me ask you about uh, you and, and Logan Green, the CEO, leading the company during this difficult time. You've had to lay off workers. You've had to furlough workers. You've had to cut expenses. What have you learned during this time? What do you feel confident you've done right? What do you wish you'd done differently? We're always learning. Logan and I have been working together. Uh, we met in 2007, so about 13 years now. We started Lyft in 2012. We started Lyft under very difficult circumstances. About maybe six years ago, I woke up to Uber raising $3 billion, and everyone said the business would go away. We could not compete. You know, someone you know, even thought we should return money to our investors at that point. We fought through it because we had an amazing group of people that were committed to providing an alternative that had better hospitality, that took care of drivers and riders better than any other company. And we went from single digit or low teens market share uh, to now double or triple of that. The pandemic has brought another difficult time. And it was very difficult to, to do the uh, reduction in force of about 17% of people earlier this year many people that have been through this before with us know that Lyft has been improved through adversity uh, and will continue to get stronger. And I, I do genuinely think we will be stronger on the other side of this. It almost feels to me like Lyft is the company with nine lives. Uh, you, you, keep, you keep facing these knockdown moments and you keep coming back. Does it feel that way to you? It definitely does sometimes. But I mean, we, we as individuals are incredibly fortunate. We as a company are incredibly fortunate. You know, those, we have jobs. We're, we're super fortunate. 
but we're in a we're in a very strong position to weather this storm and the storms that we have weathered previously were much more difficult we've seen time and time again by taking care of people by doing the right thing by uh, staying focused uh, that we can come out of this better uh, than than when we went into it What do you think makes Zimmer so confident about the future? Eventually, the pandemic is going to end and we're all going to start going out and partying again and going to work and enjoying our friends and so on. Post-pandemic, whenever that is, ground transportation is very much going to be needed. I think there, there could also be this somewhat renaissance moment of people wanting to do activities, to, to be around each other. Uh, renaissance in terms of art as well, but... Uh, more about people just wanting to come together, to have a sense of community. Uh, and so I, I obviously am very optimistic about the long term and about the transition from car ownership to transportation as a service. Adam, can you explain what Zimmer means here by transitioning from car ownership to transportation as a service? What, what does that mean? This has actually been something of a religion for Lyft since its earliest days. And it's important to remember that Lyft actually got to this whole ride-hailing, ride-sharing thing before Uber did. The Lyft dream has always been that it wasn't just running an alternative form of a taxi service, but that it was going to change how people got around. Car ownership in its current form does not make sense. The average American household spends $9,000 every year owning and operating a car that they use 4% of the time. That person has to work with 10 plus different companies, whether it's their insurance, uh, obviously registration with the government, there's a much better solution. And you no longer have to worry about the stresses and the burdens of figuring out parking and maintenance and fuel. And we can do it for you, not only uh, more enjoyably, but, but also more affordably. All right, so obvious question here. Isn't this what public transportation is supposed to do? Provide affordable transportation? Well, at no point in our interview did Zimmer suggest that Lyft would overtake or in any way replace public transportation. But this is the kind of thing that people like Richard Aziki think about. He's a policy associate at the Urban Institute, a think tank that does economic and social policy research. He says in a perfect world, private companies like Lyft would work in concert with public transportation. I feel like they're, the private sector could come in and innovate where the public sector, because of the way it's uh, built and um, just the internal bureaucracy that's in the public sector may not. But at the same time, I think the public sector, because it's, it is funded by taxpayers, has the most interest and need for serving I think so you can have the private sector come in, but the, the solutions that need to be developed and the ways that need to be innovated need to fill a gap that can help the overall system function efficiently. One example, Aziki says, is a company called Via. Via is a, a ride-sharing microtransit company, small shuttles, maybe five to ten people that are moving people around in some of these areas where public transit doesn't, doesn't gain access to. Not being adversarial to, to the trans systems, they're trying to work with them. So basically he's saying ideally the private sector is innovating in areas where public transportation isn't going. 
So the innovation that's happening is really closing the gaps in the transportation system. Right. If you think about it, once upon a time, uh, there were roads and people drove cars on them and there was public transportation that government paid for and made it made into a service. Aziki is saying that it's not just up to companies like Lyft, but also the responsible of city planners and other government officials who've always been involved in transportation to provide this connective tissue. Okay, so let's talk about the government's role here for a second. There's a big ballot initiative in California that, if it passes, could dramatically impact Lyft's business. That's right. You're talking about Proposition 22, which is a ballot initiative that Lyft and Uber and other companies are sponsoring. They've paid nearly $200 million to get this ballot initiative passed. It would override a law that the state legislature had earlier passed requiring these companies to treat their drivers as employees. How are they justifying this? I mean, it seems like, you know, it's it's better for their workers if they are classified as employees. Here's what Zimmer had to say about that. What that would then mean is that when you turn on the app, you need to get paid the second you turn on the app, which sounds good and reasonable, except what then we would have to do, we can't have an app you can just download, turn on and make money. We would then have to create shifts and you would have to provide a certain amount of suite of benefits to all drivers. 86% of drivers in California drive less than 20 hours. So I zoom out and say, okay, let's have benefits that scale. The more you drive, once you hit 15 hours, you get your healthcare subsidy. And once you hit 25 hours, you get more. That's what Proposition 22 is designed to do. So your goal is that when, when drivers sort of have the, the characteristics of employees, that they get some of the benefits of employees. What about things like sick pay and family leave? Will they get those as well? Not everything that is with employment comes with Proposition 22, but there are things that come with independent contractor uh, tax reimbursement rate for mileage. Uh, you can you can reimburse up to I believe fifty seven cents uh, per mile uh, on your taxes, which has a, a massive value for for those that drive as an independent contractor. There's an earnings guarantee that we've put in this. Uh, we've discussed with other states a model that basically builds uh, a savings account uh, that you could use and tap into for the reasons that that you just gave around uh, sick pay or sick leave or family leave. Uh, so we really do want to innovate in this category. We want to be reasonable. Uh, We want to make sure drivers' voices are heard as well as labor's voices. Uh, And I'm I'm confident that whether it's in the next couple weeks or over the next year, that we will find a solution. So what's your view here? You know, is is this a good thing for workers or do you think this actually could really stifle business? I think it's very likely that both of those statements could be true, Beth. This could be a very good thing for the employees who benefit from it. And it could result in higher prices and less service for California consumers. And so then as a Californian or as a citizen, you have to ask yourself, well, what's more important, getting a cheap ride or making sure that everybody is treated as fairly as possible? Contractor work, at least as they're driven by some of these apps, is bound to get more regulated. If it doesn't happen this time, this November, 
it'll happen increasingly in other ways in other years. So Adam, what's putting these companies more at risk? Is it this ballot initiative or is it COVID? I think this ballot initiative is one reason that Lyft and others are at a crossroads. I mean, they claim and they were getting closer to being profitable businesses just before the pandemic hit. They had already flagged if they have to pay their drivers in California as employees, it would hurt their quest for profitability. So now they're facing dramatically decreased ridership and a really big regulatory hurdle at the same time. So it's quite a perilous time and you really can't be sure if this business will be able to reinvent itself. Reinvent is a production of Fortune Media. This episode was edited and produced by Wyatt Orm. Executive producers are Megan Arnold and Mason Cohn.